0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for, again, for our time in your Word. And again, what a privilege it is that we can open up and read your love letter to us anywhere and time. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and retain your Word. So just prepare the hearts of the hearers. And I pray also, Lord, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up in, in verse... Uh, 35 tonight, but before we do, I'm going to give you a, quite, a, quite an extensive background because I think it really ties in to the last 10 or so verses of the chapter, and because of communion tonight, we're just going to look at the last 10 verses of chapter 12, but just as a, a way of review, Jesus had been questioned by both the religious and political leaders in the end of chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12, and we saw where they came to Him and they questioned the Lord, and repeatedly they were looking to stumble God, which is... A waste of your time, amen? But they came and they desired to say, you know what, Lord, you know, they're asking them questions, they think, we're going to trap Jesus Christ. And so they came to him and initially saw that, that those that would even come together were those who were enemies of one another. You'd see people that were diametrically opposed to each other uh, from the world's point of view, but they would come together when it came to being against Jesus Christ. Not unlike the world today where we'll see conservatives and liberals come together to get against Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, the last six verses of that chapter, we saw the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, those who profited most by the graft that went on in the temple. This is right after Jesus had gone into the temple and he turned the tables over and he said, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. These guys came to the Lord and they questioned him and said, by what authority do you do these things? Basically, they asked Jesus, who do you think you are? That you can come in and turn our tables over? Who do you think you are that can, you can change our way of life? And let me tell you something, if we're going to come to Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared to have our life changed. Amen? We should desire that our life would be changed, that we would become new creations in Christ. And He came in and He turned the, temple o- the, the tables over because they had t- gotten their eyes off of God, and you know, this is prevalent in a lot of churches today, where it's all about money, where it's all about, and we're going to talk more about that later on in the text, But it's all about money, or it's all about, you know, having numbers, but we're getting away from the Word of God. And these guys have gotten so far away from the Word of God that the Lord, when He went into Jerusalem, they thought He was going to go in and attack the government, and instead He went right into the church. I said this a few weeks ago, if Jesus Christ appeared in the United States today, where would He go? Would He go to the White House, or would He show up at the church? I think He'd show up at the church, because so many of us have watered down the gospel because we're afraid of what people might think. We try to be popular with men instead of obedient to God. And you know what? There's time for revival in the church today. Amen? We need to not water down the gospel. So Jesus pointed them, when they asked that question, what authority? He pointed them to John the Baptist. And He said, of John the Baptist, they said, was he from heaven or was he from men? The baptism that he did. And these men reasoned among themselves and they said, well, if we say that he's from God, then we're going to look like fools because we didn't follow him. But if we say that he's from men, then everybody's going to want to kill us because they say that he's a prophet. So they didn't have any answer. So they said, well, we don't know. And the Lord said, well, neither then will I tell you what authority I've done these things. You know, if you don't understand John the Baptist, you're not going to understand Jesus Christ. And if you don't listen to the prophets of God, you won't understand who God truly is. And I think that the analogy that I would give today is, again, it was selfish pride that they were afraid of becoming fools and they were more concerned about what men thought than what God said. But the prophetic truth that we have today it's something that you've got in your hand right now. It's God's Word. You know, we don't have... You know what, let me just say this. There are people who prophesy. There's the gift of prophecy, but there are no more prophets. Prophecy is foretelling of truth. So when you open up the Bible and speak the Bible, that's prophecy. Amen? Because you're foretelling the truth. Does God reveal pro- prophetic truth to people today? Absolutely. But do we need, you know, other traveling prophets to go around? Now, some churches would say there are, but there are not. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's not true. And you know what? People say, well, we've got the prophets coming in from Kansas City. to, re- you know, If God wants to reveal a truth in Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, he'll raise it up from somebody who's already here. Amen? We don't need to be dragging people in to reveal God's truth. God's got the people here. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So who's the truth? Jesus Christ. In John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. So who's truth? Who's the Word? It's Jesus Christ. If we want to know truth... We need to know the Word, amen? And if we want, to be, we want to understand prophecy, we need to be in the Word of God. And again, we've we got to be careful, because I'm going to talk about this a lot today. We get away from the Word. It's, it's something that's happening in the church. There's so much compromise. We want to be popular instead of being truthful. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are sitting in churches that are very, very popular, but they have not heard the Word of God. I've told some of you that I've got people that are distant family members that have been going to churches for seven or eight years, they don't know who Daniel is. They've never heard of John the Baptist. Why? Because they're taught the seven keys to joy instead of the Word of God. Let's teach the Bible. Amen? And you know what? I pray for the pastors in Santa Cruz County who've gotten away from the Word of God. Man's opinions are meaningless. If I ever get up here and start sharing with you my opinion, then get up and leave. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... The word of God. May we never fall into the trap of disregarding the prophetic truth of God's word. So then after we see that the the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys, they came to Jesus Christ attacking him. Right behind them come the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious leaders. And the Herodians, and this is amazing to me, because the Herodians were political leaders who were extremely liberal. And then you had the Pharisees who were self-righteous and extremely conservative. And yet these guys come together to go against Jesus Christ. And again, what do we see? We see the commonality of not wanting to give their lives over to God. And they came and they asked him a question, we saw this last week, about taxes. Remember that? They came and said, you know, we're going to stumble him, let's get together. Now Herodians, you guys believe in paying taxes, and Pharisees, you know, the religious zealots, you guys believe if they pay taxes, that that's blasphemous. Because they're giving to Caesar, and Caesar proclaims himself to be God, so no matter what he says, we'll trick him. So let's go over there together, and if he says, don't pay taxes, you guys can jump all over him, and you can get the government to come in and arrest him. And if he says, says to pay taxes, then we'll get all over him and say, you're a blasphemer. And so they come before Jesus Christ, these two opposite ends, thinking they're going to somehow stumble the creator of the universe. And so they come in and they say to him, should we pay taxes? I love Jesus' answer. He turns and says, give me a coin. Who has a coin? Bring me a coin, he says. Now, I talked about this last week. Isn't it amazing that the creator of the universe didn't have any money? Amen? He had to ask for a coin because he didn't have any coins, right? A lot of churches today say the faith will be determined by how many coins you have, right? You know, if you have faith in faith, you'll have more money than anybody else. The way they'll recognize the Christians in the end times, I've heard this on TV, is they'll be the ones with all the money. Well, you know what? This is not my home. How about you? Amen? And so the Lord turned and said, bring me a coin. And he held up the coin and he held it out to all the people and he said, whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You know what, whatever's image is implanted upon it is who it belongs to. And we talked about this last week, whose image were we made in? in? The image of God, amen? So who do we belong to? Surrender unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's and what should be God's is us. I talked to you about the guy when we were passing, they were passing the offering plate and he said, I just want to stick my whole body in the offering plate, Right? I don't want to give Him money, I want to give Him me, right? Because I've been made in the image of God. I want to give God some of my life, you know, and Pastor Don in San Jose says, we don't, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them, right? I surrender all. You know, some people say, I surrender some, right? But that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for us to surrender all. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all, amen? And so he, these guys came and said, you know, who do we pay? He said, you know what? Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Then after the Pharisees left, shaking their heads, once again being lit up. Here come the Sadducees, and the Sadducees, as we said, were truly sad. You see, these guys show up, <laughs> these guys show up, and they've got a question about the resurrection. And the Sadducees are these guys that only believe in the first five books of the Bible. And you know what? If you were a Sadducee, you too would be sad, you see, because they didn't believe in life after death. What's the whole point? I don't get it. Why would you be a religious leader if you didn't believe in life after death? Does that make any sense? you a religious leader of what? Well, we're just, we're just being religious till we die, and then we're going to go to the dust. I mean, I don't get that. And the Sadducees are these guys who didn't believe in the resurrection, so they come to the Lord thinking they're going to question the Lord again, tripping them up. They're going to go, hey, well, the Pharisees couldn't do it, chief priests couldn't do it, scribes couldn't do it. Let's go get Jesus, right? So they show up, and they think they're going to bring the Pharisees down and bring the Lord down all at the same time. So they come in, and they say, well, and there's a a Leverite law where it says if a man is married to a woman, and the man dies, and they don't have any children, that that man's brother is to take that woman as his wife so that the family name will not die, and they'll bear children. So they come to the Lord and say, if a man's married seven times, has seven different husbands... Whose husband will she be when they get to heaven? And again, they didn't believe in heaven. They're just trying to trip up God. They're trying to make a ridiculous argument. Ever heard anybody ask you a ridiculous argument about God? Say things like, can God make a rock too heavy for him to pick up? Things like that. Ever heard anybody ask you questions like that? You know, can God make a rock so heavy he can't, oh, he can't make one that heavy? Well, how? You, know, and, you know, it's one of these arguments. They're trying to trick, trip you up. They're trying to trip up the Lord. And the Lord says to them that when we get to heaven, we will not be married nor given in marriage. And basically, he refutes their whole point. But what I love about it is that he is God, and where does he take them? He takes them to the books that they believe in. They believe in the first five books of the Bible, so he takes them to Exodus. And he says to them, actually Genesis, he says to them, what about Moses when he was in the burning bush, when he spoke to the burning bush? Burning bush spoke to him, excuse me. And was Almighty God. And God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of... Isaac and the God of Jacob. And, I'm not a, and he said, he's not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. When he appeared to Moses, were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already dead? The answer is yes. And he took them right to their own book and proved to them that the resurrection was real. And so the Sadducees were even sadder, you see, as they walked away. You know, Christianity is not a dead religion of rules and regulations, but it's a relationship with a risen, living Savior of the universe. And then lastly, we saw this last week in verses 28 through 34, the scribe came and asked Jesus what is the most or the greatest of all the commandments. You know, the scribes, we talked about this last week, had 613 commandments. Can you imagine? I remember going out on a sales call many years ago, most of you guys know, along with being a pastor, until this church grows to the point where I can quit my job, I'm working full time, and I don't mind, it's a a great divine appointment every single day, and I went out on a sales call some years ago, and a guy saw my Christian fish, and he's told me that he was a devout Jew, and that there were 600 and some odd laws that he had to keep, and I said, whoa, man, I said, that must be hard, he said, oh, it's very difficult to be a Jew, I said, no, it's impossible, I said, I know you're not keeping them, he said, oh, yeah, I'm trying. I said, well, is trying good enough? How does that work? I mean, is there like a big scale? You know, if you keep some and don't keep... How does that work? How do you get into heaven if you're a devout Jew? How does that work? Oh, you know, I'm just hoping. I said, oh, man, Christianity's not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? I don't hope that I'm going to heaven. I know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going. Not because I'm a great guy, not because I'm righteous, but because he's righteous. Amen? You know, the people say, I hope. Can you imagine walking around hoping you're going to heaven? Hoping you've been good enough? You can't be good enough. That's why Jesus came. And they, he came to them with these 613 commandments and said, which of these commandments is the greatest? Which one's the most important? We've been arguing about this for years. Could Je- Lord, Jesus, could you just point out the one? And the Lord, I love what he does. He takes them to their scripture again, which he always does, and takes them to the Shama, where they basically repeated this every morning. They put in their phylacteries on their wrists and on their foreheads. It's in verse 29. And it says, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He said, the first commandment is that there's only one God. Amen? You know, there's only one God. No matter what other people may tell you, no matter what the Mormons may tell you, no matter what other cults may tell you, there's one God, and you're not it. Amen? There's only one God, and you're not God. All right? And so there's one God. And he said, okay, that's true. And he said, the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second one is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. We talked about last week how this is a clear picture of first and foremost, our vertical relationship with Almighty God. Before any other relationship can be right, this one must be right. Amen? I used to tell kids in the youth group, and I know this is no good for radio, Bill gets mad at me every time I do it, but I used to tell kids in the youth group all the time that if I can take you in the next four years and get you from moving your head side to side like this and get you looking up, if I can do that, then I feel like I've done my job. If I can get you guys hungry for God, if I can get your eyes on Him instead of your eyes on the world. The Bible said the job of pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen? That's our job. So it's equip these kids. And so what happens is he says the first commandment is fall in love with God. It didn't say he didn't say keep all the rules. He said fall in love with God. Again, it's not religion, it's a relationship. Now, it is religion if you understand what the word religion means. The word religion, religio, means to re-link. It's taking something that has been torn apart and putting it back together. And what did Jesus do? He re-linked man back to God. Amen? You know, the missing link that the world is looking for is not Cro-Magnon Man. Amen? The missing link is Jesus Christ. Because man has been separated from a loving and a perfect God because of our sinful, wicked nature. And the only thing that could restore us was that Jesus Christ came and suffered and died and paid the price, rebridging us back to Him. Amen? And so what happens? What do we see when we see the first commandment? A relationship with Almighty God. A vertical relationship. And then we, this relationship is so awesome that it pours out on other people. This is the relationship that we have. It's a picture of the cross. Amen? It goes this way, and then it goes this way. When you're born again, you ought to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. If people are surprised when they find out you're a Christian, then something's wrong. Amen? You should be, on, you should be glowing in the dark for Jesus, right? You spend time in God's Word. You know, the Bible says out of us shall flow, flow torrents of rushing living water. It should be flowing out of us. So tonight we're going to pick up in verse 35. And we're going to take a look at, at Jesus. Now, they've been asking Him questions. And it says in verse 34, but after that, no one dared question Him. They were done. You know, the Sadducees had come and went home, weeping, right? The Pharisees came, went home. Chief priests, went home. Scribes, went home. Herodians, went home. All questioned Jesus and went away, having an opportunity to know God, but instead went away going, oh man. And it says no one dared question Him anymore. But let's pick up up verse 35, because though they're done asking Him questions, guess what? The Lord is now going to ask them questions. Some questions. They're finished asking Jesus. Jesus was not through with them. It's our Lord's turn to ask. And the question He's going to ask them is simply this. Who is the Messiah? We don't see it in this text, but in Matthew chapter 22, which is the companion text, Jesus asks, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is He? He turns and says, who is the Messiah? Whose son is He? You know what? A lot of times we want to get in fringe debates with people. We want to sit down and talk to them about evolution. And I have no problem talking to people about evolution. I, that's fine. And we can sit around and we can talk about you know, different theological things, right? But you know what I want to do when I talk to people? I want to get them to the cross, amen? I want to ask them, who's Jesus? Who's the Messiah? Because that's what it's all about. We can debate fringe issues till the cows come home. But if we don't get them to the cross of Jesus Christ, there's no way they can be saved. And I love the Lord's example. As He comes to them, they've been asking Him questions. He answers them, answers them, answers them. They walk away. And now He says to them, who's the Messiah? It's in Matthew 22. So now now look what happens. This question is far more important than any question they've asked Him. And they respond to Him in the other companion text, the Son of David. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus answered and said, while He taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the Son of David? Now they're saying... How is it that they say he's the son of David? He's going to be a descendant of David. How is that possible in light of the next verse? Because, if we're, here's the key, you guys. If we don't understand who the Messiah is, we will not understand salvation. And we cannot understand salvation. So they come to him and he says, who's the Messiah? They say, the son of David. They say, how can the Messiah be the son of David based upon verse 36? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, a messianic psalm, and asks them to explain how David's son could also be David's Lord. How is it possible that he could be your son and your Lord at the same time? You know, and if you're sitting there and you're one of these Pharisees, or one of these, Christ- you're going to say, No one's. I- I- don't know, right? I mean, it seems like a physical impossibility. How could He be your Lord and be your Son? How is that possible? I love the questions Jesus asks, because they get right to the point. Amen? He doesn't go off into philosophical... He just asks them, how could it be? And it was understood by the Jews that the Messiah would truly be David's Son. Let me read something to you. Don't turn there. But it's in John chapter 7, verses 40-42. through 42. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will Christ come from Galilee? Has not Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? They said, look, this can't be the Messiah speaking of Jesus because He's from Galilee. They didn't understand that He was from Bethlehem. Everybody knew that the Messiah was the son of David and would be born in Bethlehem. Side note, Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't it awesome that the bread of life was born in Bethlehem? the house of bread. Amen? That's where Jesus was born, in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the city of David, and he is the bread of life. So the Lord's clear proclamation, the origin of Psalm 110, also look at the beginning. He said, for David himself said, by the Holy Spirit. So who inspired scripture? What does that say? The Holy Spirit. Who wrote the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit. Who penned it? David may have written it down, but it was the Holy Spirit who wrote it. And I love how Jesus takes him and says, now David wrote it, but was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the author of all Scripture. Now it says here, I want you to see this. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now remember in English, we have one word for love, and in Greek, they have many words for love, right? And the same is true of Lord. The word here for Lord is, he says... Jehovah, or Yahweh, which is God's covenant name, said to my Lord, Adonai. Here David pictures God speaking to the Messiah, and then he calls Him Lord. He said, Jehovah said to the Messiah, okay? He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies my footstool. Therefore David himself calls Him Lord. How is He then His Son? How is it possible that He can be His Lord and be His Son? Who is this Messiah? how is this possible? And we all know that there's only one way that it's possible. The Lord had to become a man. The Lord, his God, had to become a man. The only way he could be his God and be his son, the only way he could be someone who was before he was born, the creator of the universe, and at the same time be of his lineage, he must come to earth. And the only way he could be. It's impossible any other way. And Jesus, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, came to earth, was born of a virgin, was both a descendant of David, was born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. So, so he, he answers both questions. So these men look and they have no answer once again. Jesus asks the question, and these are the religious elite leaders, the guys who thought they knew everything, you know, the most religious people of the day, and we're going to see something about them as we move on. You know, all other messiahs or any other interpretation of Christ or false messiah in whom there is, is, is in whom there is no hope. You understand something, guys. If we don't understand the messiah, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, we do not know God. Amen? People use the name Jesus all the time. These people use the name Messiah all the time. But what kind of messiah were they waiting for? Next week we're going to look at the sign of the end times that many messiahs will come in his name. But let me talk to you about some of the messiahs that people talk about today. The Jewish messiah is one who would come and conquer and place the Jews in a place of leadership. They thought the messiah was going to come, overthrow Rome, and they were going to rule and reign with the messiah. And they couldn't wait for him to get there. Remember when he came in, they said, Hosanna, save now we pray you. Hosanna. Five days later they're saying, crucify him. What happened? What happened was, he didn't come in and overthrow Rome. He went into the temple and turned over the tables, and they didn't like that. He didn't come in and do what they wanted him to do. He didn't give them the, you know, the Rolls Royce to drive in the big house on the hill. What happened instead is, he came to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. What about the Jesus of the New Age movement? You know, we live in the tofu tie-dye New Age lesbian capital of the United States here in Santa Cruz, right? And pe- people don't like to hear that, but that's a fact. And here's the thing. The New Age Jesus was the most enlightened of all the gurus, right? He had the most white aura. I've I've talked to New Age people. What about Jesus? Oh, yeah, Jesus. He's the most enlightened of all the gurus. His aura was the whitest of all the auras. That's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Amen? And to the gurus, He's not God. And to the Jews, the Messiah Himself is also not God. Now, what about the Mormons? Who is Jesus to them? He's the Son of Elohim. He's a created being, and he's the brother of Satan. How many of you knew that the Mormons believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan? That's a fact. They say that Satan and Jesus are brothers, that Elohim used to be a man, God of our planet used to be a man on another planet, and then, because he was a good man, he got to become God of our planet, and then he came down and had sex with Mary, and that's how the baby came, right? And Jesus and Satan were fighting over which one would be the Messiah of our earth, and they voted on it, and what happened? Well, they voted for Jesus, so Jesus got it, and Satan was bummed out, so that's why he hates it. I mean, what noise, right? But see, the people say, they, they talk, talk about, we're, we're the church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. They got Jesus Christ in their name, but they don't know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Amen? It's Jesus of the Bible. You know, Jesus to them is one of many gods. They believe that they will be God of their own planet one day. That's blasphemy. So we need not just know the name Jesus. We need to know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. What about the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Jesus, they believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Right? They believe he's an angel. And they also believe, they don't believe in heaven and hell. They believe in 144,000. They don't believe that, that Jesus Christ is God. So, do they believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible? The answer is no, they don't. What about the Muslims? We're hearing a lot about the Muslims today. Now, I want to say this. Let me make it real clear: We are to love the Mormons, love the New Agers, love the Jehovah's Witnesses, love the Jew, love everybody. Amen. We're to love them all, but at the same time, we do not accept who they say Jesus Christ is because that's blasphemy. It's okay to love people and tell them they're wrong. You know what? If you love people, you should tell them they're wrong. Amen. Do it in love, but point them to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Muslim Jesus is a lesser prophet to Muhammad. You know, Muhammad was the prophet of the sword. We've talked about this. He went around, stuck the knife in people's throats and said, you prophesy that I'm a prophet and you say that that Allah is is God or we're going to slit your throat. We've got a lot of converts, right? But the reality is that the Muslims do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. So all of those people, you know, the world today wants to put their arm around all these religions and say, oh, we're all on the same team. We all have the same heart. No, we don't either. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. If we call ourselves Christians, we must know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Who is He? He's the creator of all things He was not created. He always has been, He always will be. He's the second part of the Trinity. He's one, of, he's, he's one God in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. He was born of a virgin. He's 100% God and 100% man. And always tempted, yet without sin. Again, He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. He, knew, he who knew no sin became sin for us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. The fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah, including where He was going to be born. How many of you could determine what city you were born in? You couldn't do that unless you were God. Amen? He's God. He determined it's His ancestry. It was the fulfillment of all the prophecy in the Old Testament of His ancestry. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that He would live a sinless life. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that He would be born of a virgin. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that said He would die a sacrificial death upon the cross. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that He would be resurrected from the dead. What are some of the things that our Messiah did that Jesus Christ did while He walked on the earth. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He raised the dead. He fed the masses. He calmed the storm. He delivered the demon-possessed, and He taught with authority. Sinless perfection. God in the flesh. You not only paid the price for our sin, the sin that we could not pay for, but proved Himself to be God by raising from the dead three days later. If this is not the Jesus Christ that you don't, then you do not know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. But before you leave here, we can introduce you to him. Amen? I mean, that's who Jesus is. And we start watering that down. We start saying, well, maybe he didn't raise from the dead. You know, maybe it was a swoon theory. And, you know, and maybe he wasn't born of a virgin. And, you know, well, maybe he's not really God. Maybe he's just the son of God, but he's not truly God. And, you know, maybe he's not the creator. And as soon as you do that, you're watering down the gospel. And that, and if you believe in a Jesus, other than the Jesus I've described to you, you do not know the Jesus Christ of the word of God. You know what? we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? And you know what? There's only one who could do it. The sinless, perfect Lamb of God. He, where is He now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us every single day, having bridged the gap between man and God. Isn't it awesome to know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? Isn't it awesome to know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf? Let me tell you something. The Muslim Jesus is not seated at the right hand of the Father. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is not seated at the right hand of the Father. The Jesus of the Mormon Church is not seated at the right hand of the Father. The Jesus Christ of the Jew, the Messiah of the Jews, is not seated at the right hand of the Father. Only Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Almighty God, is seated at the right hand of the Father. If we deny His deity, if we deny His virgin birth, His miracles, His fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, His death for us on the cross, His resurrection and future return, then we preach a false gospel and a false Messiah. I hope I'm, you know, again, when we talk about Jesus, I get a little excited, what can I tell you, alright? But you know what? He's an awesome God, amen? Amen. And if we can't get excited about Jesus Christ and who he is, that's why he gets watered down. Oh, don't give me that, you know, there are many paths. No, there aren't. There are many paths that lead to God, but one, only one that leads to heaven. Amen? And it's Jesus, all right? I think I made the point. Now, verse 38. <laughs> Let me finish up here. Now, it says here in verse 38, Then he said to them, Oh, wait, I want to say one last thing about 37. And the common people heard him gladly. You know what's interesting to me? I don't believe that the common people full, fully understood what he said. But I think that they love the fact that Jesus Christ taught with authority and he had absolutely no fear of these religious leaders. Do you think these people were getting fleeced by these religious leaders? Without question. Do you think there might have even be some animosity? They go into the temple and they rip them off, right? Every time they go to the temple, oh, we're going to take that and this, okay, and here's your, and we're going to change your money, we're going to stick it to you, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up there, teaches with authority, and these guys go, right? And they're like, yeah, there we go, right? Somebody came in that taught with authority. And you know what? The Word of God can be taught with authority. Amen? You know, people want to apologize for the Bible. We don't need to apologize for the Bible. Right? Amen? We need to apologize for not teaching the Bible, but we don't need to apologize for the Word of God. In the next seven verses, we're going to see the incredible contrast between the self-righteous scribes and this poor widow. Let's look at verse 38 as Jesus condemns the scribes. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace. Now I'm going to give you six characteristics of the, of the improper behavior of these scribes. Right Now, as Jesus continues to teach them, he's going to look at these guys, the professional teachers of Judaism, and he's going to say to the rest of the people that are there, You watch out for these guys. You see these guys right over here? Look out for them. He didn't say follow them. He didn't say be like the religious leaders. He said look out for them. You know, and again, I may offend somebody. Let me stand over here. I might offend somebody. Okay, whenever I get out of here, Dave's opinion. All right, I might offend you, but let me just tell you something. There are people following religious leaders today that if the Lord showed up, He'd say you beware of them. People walking around with robes and walking around proclaiming themselves to be holy. You know what? Jesus Christ is the only answer, amen? And we don't need to follow what any man has to say. We follow Almighty God. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, not me, amen? If I ever become the head of this church, throw me out in the street or something, okay? Because the Lord is the head. And we, we, faith comes by hearing and hearing by not Dave's opinion, but the Word of God. And so what happens is that these guys had become this, the, the religious leaders of the day, and the Lord said, you beware of these guys. You watch out for these guys. Watch the stuff that they're going to be teaching you. Now look at the six characteristics that he gets after him about. First of all, he says, They walk around wearing long robes, a long flowing cloak with many tassels that marked them out in a special way. It trumpeted the wearer as a devout and noted scholar. Clothes of distinction that were, that for those who wish to present, uh, uh, parade around and let everybody know what their position was. Now again, my opinion. But you know what? I get grieved when I even see guys on TV teaching with robes on. Now, I don't want to be dogmatic, and I'm sure many of them love God, but I don't get that. What am I trying to say? What if someone walking around with a collar on? I don't get that either. What am I, if I have to wear a collar to let people know I'm holy, something's wrong, amen? I mean, I should be living it so people know that there's something different. Not wearing clothes that make me look different. And these guys are walking around with robes and saying, look how holy I am. Can't you just see them walking, right, big long robe? And the longer that their, their hem was, the longer that their tassels were, the more holy they were. Can you imagine how long some of them tassels must have got? How long deep that hem must have got? They're walking around with their robes. The Lord says, you beware of these guys. These guys are hypocrite, hypocrites. Brood of vipers. Bunch of snakes. The Lord didn't mess around with these guys. He told like it was. He said on the outside they look real nice, but on the inside, they're nothing but dead men's bones. Man, that's that's Jesus talking, amen. That's what he said. And he said, look at their long robes. The longer the fringe. I, and again, I, I must confess, I get a little bugged by it myself. And then it says there also. They wore long robes and they loved the greetings in the marketplace. They loved that people would give them accolades and treat them with honor. They loved the adulation of men, the public recognition of their prominence. They loved when people come and go, oh, you're so holy. Yeah, that's right, I am. You know, what I mean, they like that, right? They love to be honored. They love to be praised. They love to be lifted up. They love it when people looked at them. I mean, why else would you walk around in a big, long robe with tassels hanging at the end unless you wanted everybody looking at you, right? And that's exactly what they did. They said, look at me. Look at me. Let me tell you something. As Christians, it should never be look at me. It should always be look at him. Amen? Get your eyes off me. Get your eyes on him. And that's what these guys are doing. Look at me. And the Lord says, watch out for him. Look at me. We want prominence, we want prominence, we want people to look at us. Verse 39, it says also that they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. Now, in those days, when they went into the synagogue for teaching, there was a bench that sat right in the very front, right in front of the cabinet that had the scrolls that they would teach from. And they wanted to sit in those, that one or two rows of seats. Why? Because they sat in the front and they faced outward. So everybody who came to the synagogue, they'd be sitting right in the front, wearing their big long robe with the tassels, right? They're sitting in the front, I'm holy, that's right. Oh, all the holy guys are in the front. So they'd come in and look, oh, there's all the holy guys. So they wanted to sit in the front, and everybody'd go, oh, look at them. And you know what? We need to be careful in church that we don't long to do anything just so we can be in the front. Amen? That anything we do, we should be called by God, and to Him alone be all the glory. I told you, many for many years I was a youth pastor, and I always had people come in and want to be up front. That was always the first thing. Oh, I just want you to know I've been with youth for a long time, and I'd really like to come in and be up front. I'd say, hey, great, you know, why don't you come and set up chairs for a while, and, you know, oh, no, I want to be up front, right? Well, that's how these guys were. They want to be up front. I think a lot of them would quit their job. They had to sit in the back and wear, you know, sackcloth and ashes, man. They want to be in front with the robes, right? They want to wear the long robes, look good, be holy, and have men think how wonderful they were. You know, the reality is, though, that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And God knows. These guys can put on airs for men, but God knows what's really going on. Amen? And there are a lot of people walking around today wearing the robes, but they don't even know God. So they sit in that front row. Then look at the rest of the verse. And the best place in the feast. They wanted to sit in the high place, be given honor. We want to sit right up in the top place, in the front place, where people can come in and when the entertainment comes out, we're the ones that they're aiming at. We want to be preeminent. We want to be prominent. That's where we want to be. You know, the Lord had a warning about this in the book of Luke. It says in Luke 14, you know, turn to verses 8-11, through 11, it says this, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, Get, give the place to this man. Then you begin with shame in your face to go back to the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up to the higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, we need to always come with the heart of a servant, never looking to be preeminent, but always looking to be humble. Amen? Always looking and saying, Lord, I just want to be used by you. You know, I want to tell you something. Since we started this church about 15 months ago, my prayer every day has been, bring the servants first. And there are so many servants in this room, it blows me away. I'm so thankful for you guys. You don't ever, most of you don't, nobody even has a clue what you do, but you're faithful. Whether it's making the tapes or, bring a drink, whatever it is. I mean, there's some people get here. You know, it's a blessing to me. I can sit out and study and I can show up here at 530 and everything's ready. Why? Because there's a bunch of servants in this church. Amen. And you know what? I can tell you right now that God is going to add daily those who are being saved because that's what he does when the word of God is being taught. And as he continues to do that, I pray that God will continue to give you guys the heart to serve because without you, it's not going to work. And so what happens is these guys want to sit in the high place. The Lord said, you need to humble yourself. Verse 40 who devour widows' houses. Now, these guys were not paid, so here's what they would do. They would fleece the widows. When a woman would die, these scribes would step in and say, here, I'll be your estate planner, let me help you out. You know, you're a poor widow now, let me make sure your finances are in order. And then they would get a real big donation to the church of Dave, right? I mean, they get all the money sent to them. Right here, you know, you need to do something for God. So why don't you just, you know, why don't you just let me lighten you of your burden a little bit? Let me get you some of your stuff and let me take it away. These guys were stealing from widows. Is there a reason for God to warn them? They're wearing long robes. They want to sit in the best place. They want to have, you know, the preeminent spot at the feast, and they're stealing from people who had just lost their husband. And let me say this too: these greedy, unscrupulous practice of the scribes was so brutal that God was grieved. And I want to tell you this, the giving should never, ever, ever, ever be done out of compulsion. If anybody asks you to give or prompts you to give and you don't want, don't. Amen? You give, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And those of you who have been coming at any length of time, I don't talk about giving very much. But I'm going to tonight a little bit because I think I've almost gotten to the opposite extreme. I tell you repeatedly, I don't want your money and I don't want your money. Okay? But you know what? We are called to give. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And then lastly it says... They will receive, it says, and and for a pretense, they make long prayers. I think it's interesting that they're ripping off the widows, and then they go out in the street and make a real long prayer. I think it's trying to overcome how wicked they truly are. You know, if I go out and make a real long prayer, maybe nobody will notice that I'm a thief. Maybe nobody will notice that I'm stealing from all the the widows in town. And you know what, there's a lot of people that pray only so that men will look at them. You know, I'm going to pray long and loud, and then everybody will look at me. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. So the characteristics of these guys were, look at me, look at me, and everybody would say, wow, look at that guy with the robe. He's sitting in the front. Look at him. He's praying for hours on end. What a holy guy. Wow, he's holy. And you know what? The Lord revealed real clearly that these guys were the furthest things from holy. You know what it is, guys? It's all about our motive. It's all about our heart. What's our motive? Is it look at me or is it look at Him? You know, I love the analogy of the moon. The moon is a reflection of the sun. Amen? And as Christians, we are to be reflections of the sun. Amen? The S-O-N, right? Now, when you see a full moon and it's really bright, it's because the sun is shining brightly on it and there's nothing in its way. But you know what happens? These guys wanted to be the moon, but they wanted to be the moon during the eclipse, right? They wanted to be the moon when you couldn't even see the sun. They said, look at me, look at me. And you know what? As Christians, we should be a reflection of the sun. We should be shining so bright that people say, wow, what are you refl- what's reflecting off you? It's Jesus, amen? You could point them to the cross of Christ and say, it's Jesus Christ who's having this impact on my life. And it says at the end of that verse, they will receive greater condemnation. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Man may be, fool- may be fooled by insincere actions, but God knows the true motives. And we'll all stand before God one day. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As Manny said last Friday at our Men's Accountability Group, that's one appointment you cannot break. Amen. You can call the dentist and postpone, but you're going to stand before God one day, right? Amen? You will stand before Him, and you will be accountable for your motives, for your heart. What have you done with Jesus? I mean, think about that for a second. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. What have you done with Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is it like the Mormon church? Is Jesus, oh, He's was a good prophet? You know, the Muslims? Or is He your best friend? We need to fall in love with Him. Amen? You need to love Him above all else. My favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 1.21, which says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that doesn't mean Christ is first in my life. It means He's first, He's fifth, He's 50th, He's 100th, He's 1,000th, and He's every number in between. Jesus Christ is my life. Amen? Telling me to stop talking about Jesus should be like telling me to stop breathing. Amen? I can't stop being a Christian. I don't check my Christianity at the door. It needs to consume me. And that's what God's called us to be as Christians. These guys with their long robes and their seats of preeminence had totally missed out on who God really was. Finally, verse 41. Let's take a look at true worship. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. The one poor widow came and threw in two mites which made a quadrant. Now, in those days, when they came in to pay, there was, this was called the court of women. It was, it was a... The closest court into the the center court that the women could go. It was the court just outside of the court of the Gentiles. And when people would come in, there were 13 brass trumpets that were set up. They they were brass, and they had this shaped like a trumpet on the top. And under each one, it would tell them what the giving was for. Now, a lot of rich people, because they were giving a lot, would love to go and change all their money for coins. And then they'd go in, right, and they'd pour their coins in and go... Right, you know, oh look at that guy, man, he's giving. Right, I mean, they were just kind of like the long robe guys, right? Look how holy! Look at that guy give, right? It was just clang, clang, clang. clang." It's not like you know Las Vegas or something, right? Somebody wins a jackpot, clang, 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 clang. Wow, what a giver, right? Now the Lord is sitting there and he's watching this go on. But you know what? Matthew six two says this. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet. Isn't that interesting? These trump- do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be re- receive glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Some individuals would, ta- again, take that money and they pour it all in. And they would think, wow, look at that guy. What a holy guy. He put all that money in. Look at all the noise it made. But look what Jesus is doing. He says, Jesus is watching and he observes a poor widow who comes and gives two mites. A mite was the... Uh, the the smallest coin they had. So today, it would be like a penny. It was the smallest amount of money that you could possibly have. And this woman went in with her two mites, and where everybody else is, clank, 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 right? And, oh, look at me, and right? Probably the entourage, yeah, keep pouring it in. Look at me, yeah, that's my money going in, right? Clank, 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 right? This woman walked up humbly, and dropped her two mites in, and walked away. And Jesus saw her. You know, I love the fact that God watches us as we're stewards for Him. Don't you love that? The world may not see, but God sees. Amen? When you're doing it for the Lord, your motives need to be pure. Lord, I'm doing it for you. I don't care about men. I'm doing this for you. If nobody else ever notices what you're doing, then praise the Lord. Amen? Because if too many people notice, you lost your reward anyway, right? So this, these guys are coming to clank, 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 clank. And this woman comes in, and she drops in her two little mites. Verse 43. So when he called his disciples to himself and said, As Surely I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who've given to the treasury. Now wait a minute. She put into... She put in two pennies. That one guy was clanging for ten minutes. How is it possible that she gave more money? And I love what the Lord says. Look what He says. For they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You know what? When the offering plate came by, this woman did put her whole self in it. This was everything that she had. This was faith. She said, Lord, I trust that you're going to take care of me. She walked away not having money for food. And she put it in there anyway. These other guys, you know, $10 million in the bank, put half a million in the... you still got $9.5 million at home. Is that a sacrificial giving? Not to say that... But they went... She gave all. She could say, I surrender all and mean it. Amen? She wouldn't be lying. She gave everything that she had. And the Lord looked and saw what she had given. Remember this. that The size of the gift is not important. It's the heart. It's the commitment of our heart. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. Amen? Now let me just talk about giving real quick and then we're going to have our, we're going to do a communion. I don't talk about it at all, but I feel like I've almost been unbalanced by not talking about it at all. Let me say this. You give not because man wants you to. I know that there are people here tonight that you went to churches where people beat you senseless to give money. And I promise you, I'll never do that, okay? And sometimes we think, oh man, you know, I was ripped off by those other churches, so I'm never gonna give again. Don't rob yourself of that blessing. Because let me tell you something, and let me just make it real clear. When you give, give to the ministries that bless you, all right? Don't give because someone calls you up on the phone and pounds on you. Give to the ministries that bless you that they may continue, all right? And let me just tell you something. Here at Calvary Santa Cruz, every dime we get is used for ministry. Every single dime. It pays the rent. It pays for the Bibles that we buy. It's going to put us on the radio here not-too-distant future. It's going to pay for whatever building we want to. But you know what? It's all used for the kingdom of God. If you listen to a radio station that really blesses you, then give to them. Amen? But don't feel like you have to. And if you're not at the point where you want to give now, then don't. Okay? I don't want anybody to ever say, Oh, man, I just want my money. I don't want your money. But I want you to be obedient to what God calls you to do. Okay? And so when you give, give with a cheerful heart. Let me ask you a question. What percentage of your money belongs to God? All of it, amen? And sometimes we want to hold on to 10 You know what? Let me just tell you this. this is, and again, this is my own personal thing. Years and years and years ago, God put it on my heart. The Bible says to give of your first fruits. And you know what? Since day one, when I get paid, the first check I write is to the Lord. Not because I'm trying to impress God. Not because I'm trying to impress you. But because I owe everything I have to the Lord. And I love to give. To me, it's a blessing. It's not a bummer. If it's a bummer, don't do it. Okay? Just pray about it. All right? And you don't have to give here. I'm not, I don't want your money. So give it to somebody else. I don't care. Give it to a church where you're being blessed. Give it to somebody that's blessing you. But I, again, I've gone almost to the opposite extreme where some of you think that I, I'm telling you not to give. I don't want to say that. I want to say you give as God moves upon your heart. Now these concluding warnings of the chapter are a beautiful contrast because you contrast the scribes who are all about look at me, look at me, look at me. Those Even the rich man who went and poured out all of his money right? What was he doing? He was trying to, he was pride, he was trying to get people to look at him and you see this woman who comes up and she gives and nobody knows, but I love the fact that Jesus saw her and Jesus knows. So if you're here and you feel like, man, you know, I do a lot, nobody notices. Well, God bless you because he does. Amen? He notices. Do it for him. Don't do it so men will praise you. Do it so that the Lord will will be blessed and because of what God has done for you. God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. Amen? He wants your heart. He wants you just to say, Lord, I surrender all. It's all yours, Lord. Now, please, I hope that 10 people don't leave the church because I talked about giving because I've been here 15 months. It's the first time, all right? But I want to say this. Don't give unless you have a piece of that, okay? I, if you stay here for 50 years and never give them a dime, you'll never hear a word out of me because I don't care. You know what? I'm giving the books over to somebody, and I don't, I'm not going to know who gives what, and I really don't care because it's, that's, not, that's not what it's about, I'm going to minister to you the same. I'm going to love you the same. We don't have a hierarchy on who gives the most. That's not what it's about. Amen? You give because God puts it on your heart to give. And you're doing it as a love and a, a sacrifice unto Him. We can get the worship team to come on back up. So in review, we saw Jesus asking about the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? How can He be the Son, David's son and David's Lord? We saw the outward false righteousness of the Pharisees. As they had all those accolades in themselves, wearing the robes. And then finally we saw the true heart of worship. You know, the, high, the Bible says the highest form of worship is what? Who knows what it is? It's obedience. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not about how much we go to church. Although going to church, forsaking out to gather yourselves together, that's important. But we don't go just so we can get a brownie mark next to our name. I went to church, right? Some people think, well, I was really bad this week, I better go to church. That's not how it works. We go, forsake not to gather yourselves together because it's a place where we grow. It's a place where we can use the gifts that God's given us. It's a place where we can learn the Word of God. We can worship the Lord. We can gather together with like-minded people. Amen? And so that's so important. That's a key in our walk with God is that we gather together in His name. But the highest form of worship is just obeying Him. Saying, Lord, I, you know what? Do you know that the Lord loves you guys? Do you know that He loves you? Because if He loves you, then He'll do what's best for you. Amen? And sometimes you won't understand. But it's saying, Lord, I trust you even when I don't understand. The Bible talks about having the peace that surpasses all understanding. Not the peace that comes from understanding. Amen? The peace that you have even when you don't understand. God is in control. So tonight we're going to go ahead and take communion. And here's how we do it here at Calvary Santa Cruz. Do a little different maybe than you're used to. We're just going to have some worship music. And here's what I want each one of us to do. Let's examine our own hearts. Who are we with Jesus Christ right now? Who is Jesus to you? How are you doing in your walk? Are there areas of your life that need to change? I know there are areas of my life that need to change. And I know that I need to examine my own heart. So as we worship, just examine your own heart before God. And just say, Lord, search my heart, O God. And then understand that this is what communion is. And I want to say this. You do not have to, there are no members of Calvary Santa Cruz. If you showed up, you're a member. That's how it works, amen? You're here, you're part of the church. You see any written membership in the Bible? There isn't any. So if you come, you're part of this church. So you don't have to say, oh, I haven't been 50 times. You don't have to be. If you're here for the first time and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, then communion's for you. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread is a picture and a representation of his body, which was broken for you. Jesus suffered because he loves you. He was beaten because he loves you. He was mocked because he loves you. They spat in his face. They plucked his beard. They took a crown of thorns, which thorns being a representation of sin and they crushed him into his head because he loves you. That's our God. Amen? And he loves you so very much, and he was broken for you. And every time we take communion, we need to remember what a sacrifice was paid that we could have a relationship with Almighty God. Then the blood represents the redemption, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ upon the cross through his shed blood, the juice. So when you take the bread, remember that he suffered for you. And when you're drinking the juice, remember that he paid the price that you could not pay. So take a moment and just pray and say, search my heart, Lord. And when you're, you've done that and you feel ready to, just as you feel led during the worship, just come on up. Grab the elements. You can go back and sit down. You can pray with your family. You can pray by yourself, whatever you want to do, okay? But let's go before the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that you did die on that cross over 2,000 years ago. But, Lord, I thank you even more that on the third day you rose from the dead. You triumphed over sin and death. That we serve a risen, living Savior. Lord, I pray now that your cross would not grow common. The Lord, as we take the elements that we truly would reflect upon your love for us, the work that you did for us. Lord, we love you. We pray that you be glorified in this act. It'd be an act of obedience, an act of worship, an act of remembrance, an act of love. And, Lord, just your, your act for us upon the cross was the greatest act of love that ever happened. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.